0: Let's pause for a moment and ask God's blessing on our time and his word together. Father, thank you for these quiet moments that we are going to have in your word. We pray that you will use them to soften our hearts to the truth, that we would hear what it is that you have to say. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, is it just me or do we as human beings really like to try and control everything? Don't we like to do that? I was reading this week and I read of a luxury wedding planning company in London that is guaranteeing rain-free outdoor wedding ceremonies, guaranteeing it. If you look on their website, you'll see that they are employing a team of meteorologists, and a team of scientists and pilots. And what they do is the meteorologists map out the weather, uh, weather patterns surrounding the wedding date, and they have the pilots fly over the clouds with a special chemical that they use to seed the clouds and cause it to rain before the day so that the day of the wedding will be rain-free. I'm not making this up. Prices, if you're interested, start at $150,000 because perfection is expensive. There is a disclaimer, however that they guarantee the rain-free wedding against all minor showers and weather patterns. But if there's a hurricane coming, then there's just nothing they can do about that. (laughs) So there is a limit even to that kind of perfection. We love to control the circumstances of our lives, don't we? We love to do everything that we can to eliminate disappointment, to eliminate loss, to eliminate pain, but when it comes right down to it, how successful can we really be? How much of our lives can we really control? Last week, we started talking about what the Scripture has to say in regard to dealing with life's pain in this broken world, and if you're with us, you know that I challenged you to acknowledge the inevitability of suffering. You see, God is very clear, and Scripture is very clear, that pain is a part of life in this broken world. It has been since almost the very beginning. Remember, we talked about that last week. Genesis 1, 1, God created the heavens and the earth, but by Genesis 3, it was already broken. There was already sin, there was already pain, and there was already the promise of death. And last week I asked you a question that I want to jump off of this morning. Last week I asked you this, what if the purpose of this world is not what we think it is? What if the world doesn't exist for the purpose of our comfort and happiness? And I want to add to that this morning as we continue to plow our way through this topic and ask you this. What if we are not in control of our very own lives? Well, of course, if you're willing to be honest this morning, you know, <clears throat> you know that you are not in control of your life. Clearly, if there's anyone in your life, a, a family member or a close friend or a coworker would come to you and say, wow, You look like you got it all together. Your life is going so well. How do you do that? In your mind, you know it's not true. If you were in control of your life, ask yourself this question right now. If you were truly in control of your life, would you be exactly where you are right now? Would you be experiencing the things that you are experiencing? Or would you have experienced the things that you have experienced in the past? Clearly, we are not in control of our own lives. So, if we aren't, who is? Now, there are some in this world, some around us. Undoubtedly, you know some of these people. There are some who would say that no one is in control of this world. No one is in control of what's going on. Can't you see it? Can't you see the chaos? Can't you see the randomness to everything that's happening? There are many people who believe that the world just came into existence spontaneously. That there was some huge cataclysmic event somewhere back thousands or millions even of years ago that resulted in this world and that it just started spinning randomly and all of this came into being by chance, you came into being by chance, I came into being by chance and for some reason, somehow, it's still going. Well, what does God's word have to say? That's why we're here this morning. We need to take everything that the world feeds us and everything that our our own minds and our own emotions feed us and we need to compare it to God's word and see what he has to say to us. I want to take you back to 1 Peter 4 this morning. Last week, if you were here, we read 1 Peter 4.12. That's how we got started, where Peter says, I don't want you to be surprised by the suffering that you face in this world. Now we're going to look at 1 Peter 4.19 as we begin this section of our study and hear what Peter has to say there. He follows that up by saying, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. There is so much that we need to grasp from this little verse. First of all, I want you to notice one phrase. It stands out to me. I don't know if it stands out to you or not when you look at it, but he says that we suffer. Notice this. What does it say? According to God's will. That raise any flags in anybody else's mind? (laughs) I'm suffering according to God's will. This is God's will. Well, if we think about what's going on in our lives, we really have three choices. A, I'm in control. B this is all random. Or C, someone else is in control, right? I mean, that's just logic. Either I'm in control, nobody's in control, or someone else is in control. What does the Scripture say? It says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Last week, we said that the life of faith is always a struggle of trust. For those of us who are Christ followers, we know we're supposed to be putting our trust in God, but tell me, my friends, is that not often a struggle? Is it? I think it is. It is It isn't my life. It's a struggle to trust God. And Peter says we have to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Now, the word creator is a very interesting word. It is only used here in the New Testament. This is the only time this word is used. And it literally means the one who made everything out of nothing. The one who made everything out of nothing. Why is that significant? Well, friends, God's word is very clear you are not in control. I am not in control. Nor, however, is what happens in this life random because God, who created this world by himself out of nothing, is the one who is in control. This morning, we're gonna see the imperative of suffering. What must we do if we're gonna deal with life's pain in this broken world? Well, last week, we said we have to acknowledge the inevitability of suffering, and this week, this is how I wanna challenge you, that we need to embrace God's sovereignty in our lives. We need to embrace his sovereignty. This universe doesn't exist for my purposes because I'm not in control of it. Who is in control of it? God is because he created it. God did not co-opt this world from another situation. God did not come along and see something happening and say, hey, I want to use that for my purposes. God didn't do that. The scripture tells us that there was nothing before God created this world. And guess who owns an item? The one who created it. The one who created it is the one who owns it. And God is the one who created it from nothing, this world from nothing, for himself. Therefore, he is in control. Now, we're talking about this world in general, and we're talking about our lives in particular, I think one thing we need to make clear is that we're not talking about our own story. How many people have heard others around them or in the media or in our culture talking about writing your own story, okay? This is your story. This is your life. You make it whatever you want it to be. But that's not what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us this is God's story. Listen to these verses in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Notice, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That's an incredibly significant passage, friends. Incredibly significant. What does it tell us? It tells us that God created our lives. God is the one who created our bodies. And more than that, that every day of our lives were written before we even drew breath. Folks, we could take the next half an hour and we could just look at a number of different passages that confirm and reaffirm what we're seeing here in this one. We won't do that for the sake of time. But what I want you to grasp here is that God's Word tells us the opposite of what our world tells us. There is nothing about your life that is random. There's nothing random. Every day of our lives was written before we even drew breath. But I want you to notice where they were written. As I emphasized when I read the verse for you, they were written, uh, David says, in your book. You ever heard somebody joking around about a friend or a family member who's kind of, you know, running the show? And they say, hey, it's Fred's life We're all just living in it, right? It's his world. We're just a part of it. But God's word says it's his world, and we're just a part of it. It's God's story, and we're in it. He's the one that's in control. We must entrust our souls to him. So the question becomes not what is my purpose for this world, But what is his purpose for this world? Are you following here as we logically walk through this? What if the purpose of this world is not what I think it is? What if the purpose of this world is not my comfort and happiness? It can't be what I think it is because I'm not in control. If I'm not in control, who is? God is in control because he created it. So what I need to be asking myself is not what is my purpose for this world, not why is the world here for me, but what is God's purpose for this world? What is his plan? us, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Some of these phrases will sound familiar to you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, notice the phrase, according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, notice the phrase, conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is God's purpose for this world? What is his plan for me? God's purpose is that I would be like Christ. It says that I would be conformed to the image of his son. The word conformed mean, means to have similar behavior. It means to have similar behavior because you have a similar nature to be like. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Once is here and once is in the book of Philippians. We're going to look at that one next week. But here's what I want you to grasp. That God's purpose in our lives for this world's circumstances is is to use them to transform us into people whose behavior resembles Christ. Now think about where you are and the way that you live your life and think about how the scripture describes Jesus Christ and answer this question in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud, but how long a process is that going to be for you to get from where you are in your and you're living in lifestyle and behavior to where Christ is. Is that a long trip or a short trip? It's a long one for me. When I chart that out, I've got a long ways to go to get from where I am to where God wants me to be. It's a huge task. It's a long process. And how does he do it? Romans 8, Paul says, he uses all of the events of our lives. The word all literally means all. It means every single Event in our lives, He uses it to work together to make me like Christ. That's Christ's main concern. Now, here's what we like to do: we like to read verses like Philippians four nineteen that says, "My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." How many people like that verse? Nobody. Okay, excellent. Well. <laughs> If you were semi-conscious when I got to that point and you're ready for that question, you would have gone, ding. We love that verse. God will supply all of our need. And then in our minds, what do we do? Well, we look at needs and wants, and needs list gets longer and wants list is shorter. It's not that I want that, I need that. And my God will supply all of my needs. That's what God is doing in my life. He's supplying everything that I need, slash want. But that's not Christ's main concern for you. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves you, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and he blesses me. And I know that he has blessed you. But more important in the mind of God than your comfort is your character. He wants you to be like Christ. Now, if we're going to back up in Romans chapter 8 and read a little bit uh, of those verses before, those ones I just read for you, we would read that all creation groans because of the weight of evil and the terrible things that happen in this world. How many of you have ever woken up in the morning and you're laying in bed and the fog clears? And all of a sudden, you're aware of the circumstances of your life and what is going on and what you have to get up and face that day. And how many of you either audibly or inaudibly let out a little groan? How many of you have ever done that? Yeah, all creation groans. When I woke up this morning, (laughs) I went like this. Yep, they're still attached. The muscles are a little tight. I did a couple of up-downs on the stairs to loosen things up and get them warmed up from last night. I groaned. All creation groans, doesn't it? You groan, I groan, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I want you to notice that in that verse, that most well-known of verses, that most Maybe taken out of context of verses of Romans 8 28. I want you to notice that God does not say that each individual thing that happens in our lives is good. He doesn't say that. I don't want you to think as I stand up here and as I talk about these things and I, and I challenge you to embrace the sovereignty of God in the middle of your suffering. That I am somehow deluded into the fact that I think everything that happens in this world is good. I don't. A lot of horrible things happen in this world. A lot of crappy things happen in this world. That's a technical term that's used to describe things that happen around us, right? There's no other way to describe them. They're crappy. They're painful. They're terrible. The scripture doesn't say that every individual thing that happens is good. Your spouse dying is not good. Your child becoming ill is not good. Cancer is not good. Financial ruin is not good. Nervous breakdown is not good. Broken relationships are not good. But cumulatively, ultimately, God is able to take every single thing that happens in our lives... And use it for our good. I have a very important question. I really do want you to respond this time. How many people like chocolate cake? Okay. That's what I'm talking about. I know everybody's awake now. Disclaimer, I don't have any chocolate cake for you. I just want to know if you like it. Chocolate cake is fantastic. There are many good things in this world, but chocolate cake is definitely in the top five, okay? Chocolate cake is excellent. But if I came up to you and I said, hey, Gav, how would you like to have this cup of fine enriched white flour? It's terrible. If I came up to you and I said, Holly, how would you like to have a couple of tablespoons of vanilla extract? No. How about two or three raw eggs? How about a spoonful of dry cocoa powder? How about a shot of baking soda? Nobody is eating those things. Now, maybe when I got to the half a cup of sugar, everybody'd be like, okay, yeah, now that I'll take. But somehow, and I don't understand this work, how this works, because I'm not a chef, I'm not a baker, but somehow when you mix all of those things together and you put it in the heat, something magical happens. <laughs> right? And dry flour and bitter vanilla extract and baking soda and cocoa powder and raw eggs come out of the oven, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I don't want to oversimplify the pain of your life, but this is not unlike what God does. He takes All of the things of our lives, all of the events, all of the things that happen, even the bitter ones, even the bitter ones, and puts them together just right to make, in the end, a beautiful final product. Again, not to oversimplify, but your life and my life is still in the process of being made. When we're little, what do we want to be? Big. When we're young, we want to be older. Why? So I can live my life. How many parents have heard their kids say, man, why are you telling me what to do? I want to do what I want to do. Oh, you little kids down here in this front row. Let me tell you something. I'm going to do your parents a favor this morning. You know what happens when you get to be a big person and a grown-up and you're making all your decisions, you're like, man, I wish somebody else would tell me what to do. I wish I was a little kid again. so My parents could worry about all this stuff and I don't have to. Why do we want to be older when we're younger? Because we think that's life. I can drive what I want to drive. I can eat what I want to eat. I can stay up as late as I want to stay up. I can sleep in as late as I want to sleep in. That's the life. That's not life. It's not. That's not life. This is the incubation process where God is putting in all of these ingredients in our lives to prepare us for real life. that is yet to come. After he lost his wife to cancer, C.S. Lewis, the famous philosopher or writer, wrote a book that he called The Problem of Pain. And in it, C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, here's the thing, guys. We were not created to be self-reliant, and so self-reliance never produces good things in us. God uses suffering to tear down our idol of self-reliance. And often in our suffering, we're irritable, we're demanding, we're impatient, we're doubtful, we're angry, we're anxious. But I want to cause you to think about this for a moment this morning, that suffering doesn't make us that way. It exposes what's already inside of us. Paul David Tripp says it this way, he says, we are not grace graduates. There's still sin inside of us. And when we suffer, all of those things that come out, were already there. If I wasn't in pain, I wouldn't be so irritable. I wouldn't be so angry. I wouldn't be so anxious. Yes, you would be because it's in there. Sin is in there. There's still sin inside of us that needs to be driven out. And what comes out of us in the middle of pain proves that we need something way more than relief. We need a deeper trust in the power of God to live a godly life. Now, if you're listening to all this and you're saying, okay, okay, Mike, just, you know, relax. You're going to blow a blood vessel or something. Okay, I hear you, but same question as last week, right? But why? It still doesn't explain why. Why do terrible things happen, disease and death and famine and war? If God's in control, why does he let it happen? Why doesn't he do it another way? I want to suggest to you that behind every criticism of the sovereignty of God, behind every discussion of the problem of evil, behind every conversation about sin in the world, behind every raging rant that God is cruel and unloving, is the presumption that, listen, is the presumption that we know what God should do. Right? Nobody wants to jump on that one and agree, huh? Behind all of our rantings and ravings and ragings against the cruelty of God is the presumption that we know what God should do. I'm angry, God, because you're doing it this way and you should be doing it that way. Here's the problem with that presumption. God is all-knowing, he is all-wise, he is all-powerful, he is all-loving, and he is perfectly good. And we have brains that weigh on average 48 ounces. Do you know what 48 ounces looks like? It's about the size of that strangely huge polar pop that you can get at Irving for 69 cents. That's 48 ounces. Now, scientists tell us that we only use about 10% of our brains. Do you know what 10% of a polar pop looks like? It looks about like an Egg McMuffin. So with our Egg McMuffin of a brain... We're gonna comprehend the infinity of the universe and we're gonna decipher the mysteries of the millennium and we're gonna answer all of life's questions for seven and a half billion people? (laughs) I don't think so. After this is over, we could go to my office and I could give you three books on the sovereignty of God and you could read all thousand of those pages and you would still be at the same point. Do you know what the point is that you would be at? The choice. The choice of whether or not to embrace the sovereignty of God in your suffering. Will you or won't you? Now, it's not an easy thing to do. Of course not. And I know that. But that's why last week I challenged you to acknowledge the inevitability of suffering. But this week, notice the difference, folks. This week, I'm challenging you to embrace his sovereignty. Do you know what it means to embrace something? If you embrace someone you love, what are you doing? You're wrapping your arms around them. You're clinging to them. I want to challenge you to embrace the sovereignty of God, to embrace it like your life depends on it, because it does. Can God change the circumstances of your life? Yes, he can. Is God able to heal the sick? Yes, he is. Is God able to prevent war and death and mental illness? Absolutely, he can. But when I embrace God's sovereignty, I'm saying that I trust him so much that even if he chooses not to do those things, that he knows that there's something that I need more. He knows there's something I need more than that relief. I need grace. And I cling to him. You see, we know when we study the scripture and we Embrace God's sovereignty that he has a plan. He had a plan from before the beginning of time. And he is working out that plan and nothing can stop it. And that plan involves pain. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole list of people that God loved who went through incredibly difficult circumstances in their lives and they trusted God through them. Read Hebrews 11 one sometime and you you'll see what it means to trust God in pain. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the writer wraps that discussion up and says, "Therefore, because of this, because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses from chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely" And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice the beginning of verse 2 now. Looking to Jesus, the author, the founder, and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God has a plan, and he's working it out. He has been working it out, and nothing will stop it. Jesus endured unimaginable pain for you and I, and that was part of the plan. Could Jesus have spoken a word and caused everyone in Pilate's chamber when he was being tried unjustly, could he have spoken a word and caused them all to drop dead and walked out of there? Yes, he could have. On the road to Calvary, could he have just put that cross down and walked his way through that centurion or that, that battalion of soldiers and walked away? Of course he could have. Once he was nailed onto that cross, could he have just decided to get down off it and walk away? Of course. But he didn't because that was not the plan. The plan was God's son dying on the cross for you and me. It's not a failure of God's plan. It was not a failure of God's plan to suffer and to die on the cross. It precisely was his plan to provide our salvation. That's what we're celebrating this morning in communion. We're celebrating at this moment in your pain that Jesus Christ died for you. He knows what pain is because he suffered it for you. I'm going to ask the folks to come if they would. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. We'll pray. They'll come around. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup, which are symbols of Christ's body that was beaten and broken and his blood that was shed so that we could have life. I would invite you to take part in communion this morning. If you don't want to, if you're not comfortable, if you're not exactly sure what that means, if you're not a Christ follower, that's okay. Just let it go by. We're going to give thanks this morning for what Christ has done for us. Father, thank you for the plan. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his willingness to endure on our behalf. We ask this morning as we celebrate together, that our hearts would be grateful, that we'd be overflowing with praise and thankfulness for the one who suffered for us, that we might be free. In Christ's name, amen. God declared his eternal, unchanging love for you at the cross. So when we suffer... It's not a failure of God's love. It's not a failure of his plan. It's a tool that God uses to bring us into line with his plan. So that he will love what he has prepared for us in the future more than we love our present comfort. I know that's incredibly difficult to live. I want to encourage you this morning to look to Jesus. Just like the writer of the Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus. Jesus is the one who suffered before us and who will suffer with us until the culmination of the beautiful plan that God is working in our lives. Father, we humble ourselves before you as... Insignificant created beings in front of the sovereign creator of the universe you who spoke all things into existence by the mere sound of your voice forgive us for presuming that we know what you should do but in the middle of this father in the middle of all of this that we walk through in our lives the middle of what many in this room are walking through right now Please, please give us grace and mercy that we might embrace you, that we might cling to you, that we might look to Jesus. Thank you for these times, Father. I pray that they will be challenging and encouraging. And I pray that as the greater body of Christ, as a family of brothers and sisters together who all... Endure the same things. The details may be different, but we endure the same things in this life. May we encourage and love, laugh with and mourn with each other as we run this race with endurance. We look forward to what you have for us in the future. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming tonight. Hope you join us tonight at 6.